0: To Renee and the worship team, good morning. Uh, as uh, Stephen said, it's uh, we're getting close to middle of July, and it's not even hot yet. So praise the Lord for that. That I have no complaints. Last week was a special week. We had our ministry fair, and we had deacons and ministry leaders up here in the front, and uh, it was real. I'll, I'll be honest. I prayed that the Lord would bless that uh, because it would be really easy to just kind of let it go and just ignore it and what and but we had we had many people that showed interest in saying now I know many of you are already really plugged into ministry and serving in various ways but there was a number that said I want to serve in a new way or I feel like the Lord is calling me here and so uh, may God bless us as we continue to seek His help to carry out His work. And so, praise the Lord for a wonderful ministry fair. And that concluded our sermon series called "Ministry Matters." What's your go serve? And so now, I uh, now we need to go before the Lord and ask Him, "What would You have us to look at from the Scriptures?" Uh, in our in the in the upcoming weeks and months, and I put that question before the Lord, and uh, the uh, the direction that I received was to look at the book of First Thessalonians. And I was re- and I was thinking about this as I was preparing uh, this message on First Thessalonians one this morning. I've been a Christian my whole life. I grew up in the church. I don't there. I, there are probably no more in my life, I've probably not been in church no more than 50 Sundays my whole life. I've heard a lot of sermons. I don't think I have ever heard a sermon from 1 Thessalonians. I know I've never heard a sermon series. And so this is a book that we don't know very much about. It's kind of uh, an, an ignored book. But, it is, but the more I have studied it, the more I find that it has some very helpful things in this book. Some things that are going to, be, to help us as individual Christians, are going to help us as a church. 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest books written in the New Testament, just in terms of the order that they were written. It was, second, it was Paul's second letter. Uh, the, the only letter he wrote before this was Galatians and then uh, 1 Corinthians scholars estimate that it was written in about 51 AD so not less than 2 decades after Christ ascended into heaven a very short amount of time in fact Paul writes this letter to the uh, church in Thessalonica and uh, he had only he had started this church but he had only been with them for 3 weeks And in three weeks' time, there were enough Christians uh, to form a church, and then he was driven from the city. And so so he wrote a letter to the church only a couple months after he had left. And in many ways, this was their discipleship curriculum. He didn't have time to uh, be there with them for very long to teach them to be followers of Christ. And so what did he do? He wrote a letter. And what we're going to see in this letter, it's it's some basics of the faith, things that Paul would consider essentials for those that would be followers of Christ. We're going to see right away at the beginning, he talks about uh, evangelism. And we're going to see, uh, and he talks about caring for others in their need. And he talks about uh, worship and obedience to God. Things that we need to be instructed about, specifics. Things that we need to be reminded op- about and ground our lives in. But one of the interesting things that Paul uh, finds to be so valuable in his discipleship curriculum There is no other book in all of the Bible outside of the book of Revelation that has more instruction on the end times than does 1 Thessalonians. And I got thinking about that in our uh, our own lives. Many of us have a lot of confusion about what will happen uh, in Christ's second coming and at the end of the world as we know it. And Paul found it so important for them to have basic instruction that he would write these brand new believers to explain the coming of the Lord and and what will happen at the end. That he included almost at least a quarter of the book to the end times. And in every chapter, five chapters, it's a short book, every chapter talks about the return of Christ. And so in light of that, I thought this is instruction that we need as a church foundational truths of what does it mean to be a christian and part of that includes understanding where we are headed where ultimately the world is going and christ's second coming and how and how those truths can radically shape us inside and out how we live and how we feel how we think and all of these things we need the instruction of first thessalonians So let me give us some background information. As, we, as I said, it's not a book we talk about very often, so let me start. Obviously, this is a church in Thessalonica. Let me uh, have Andrew flip up on the screen a map. Oh, man, I forgot my laser pointer. Mark, do you have a laser pointer back there? Okay. Um, you, uh, so find Thessalonica. It's right uh, at the top of the screen. And, uh, and what we see here... Is, uh, does anybody have a laser pointer here? Uh, no. Okay. We'll, we'll make do. Oh, somebody does. Who is pointing that? Oh, you can do that on the screen. Okay. So point out Thessalonica. All right. That is uh, the city. It's obviously in the country of Macedonia. It's actually a very important city. It's uh, the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia. And it's important not only because it's a capital city, but it's a fairly large city. Well, Large for that day, 200,000 people, which in the ancient world was considered a large uh, metropolitan area. And uh, not only was it important for that reason, it was important because there was a lot of travel through it. It's a port city. You can see it's right on the Aegean Sea. And uh, it's a port city, so there's a lot of people that are coming and traveling. Okay, thank you, Darren. There we go. So we got a red one and a blue one. Follow, or I mean a red one and a green one. I should learn my colors. Um, That is, it's right on the Aegean Sea. It's a port city. And so there's a lot of travel through it because of that. But there's also a lot of travel through it because it's an intersection of two major trade routes. There's a trade route that runs east and west. Uh, It would receive a lot of goods from Italy that would come across the sea, and uh, there was a route that ran right across here that people would travel and, uh, as they made their way to the east. But it, there was also a route that ran north and south, and so they would come and, uh, to deliver their goods, and, and oftentimes it would go on a ship. And around. Paul would oftentimes choose to plant churches in large cities that had a lot of influence but also cities that had a lot of traffic through it. Because he knew if the gospel could take root in those that were moving on their way, that the gospel was going to spread to other cities. But what is interesting to note is he did not plan to go to Thessalonica. He was only driven there out of necessity. We read in Acts chapter 16 That Paul, this is his second missionary journey, he was planning on visiting all the cities he had planted churches in in his first missionary journey, which didn't include Thessalonica. He got stuck in Philippi. And then he got thrown in jail. Now, obviously, that wasn't his plan. But here he is stuck in a jail cell with his co-worker Silas in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, what do we see them doing? they're not discouraged they're not frustrated maybe they are and they're frustrated but you know what fills their hearts is joy and, and it comes out in singing and what we read in um what we read in acts chapter 16 is Paul and Silas are sit, uh, in the middle of the night are singing praise songs to the Lord and all of a sudden an earthquake something we can relate to this morning right Philippi must have been the epicenter, and it must have been at least a 7.1 because the uh, jail cell breaks apart and they could run out free. And the jailer sees what's happened. Uh, The lights had gone off. Uh, Obviously, they don't have electricity. I don't know how the lights went off. Uh, Maybe the candles burnt out or whatever uh, because of the. Maybe they're knocked over because of the earthquake. But it's dark and Paul and, he, and the jailer knows he is responsible for these prisoners no matter what. If they escape, it's his head. And so rather than face that, he draws his sword and he's about to take his own life. And Paul says, hang on a second. Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the jailer calls for the lights and... Uh, and they, and they uh, turn the lights back on. They light candles, I assume, or torches. And, uh, and the first words that come out of the jailer's mouth are, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? He knew that there was something different about these guys. Not only in the middle of the night would they sing praise songs to the Lord in their jail cell, but they would not flee for their lives when they had an opportunity And Paul's message to them, his answer is very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's a simple evangelical message of believing in the good news of Jesus. It's a message that was received instantaneously because uh, they saw transformed lives in Paul and Silas. It's a message that inspires us because we all have it, uh, individuals in our lives that we hope will c- that question will come to us someday. Sir, madam, dad, mom, whatever it is, what must I do to be saved? Do not our hearts resonate with that? In fact, as we read through the uh, first chapter of First Thessalonians, it is all about this, this uh, evangelistic message going forth. Paul is an evangelist. And, and we see it not only in how he reacts to the uh, Philippian jailer, but as soon as he, uh, then as he leaves prison, he makes his way to the west and he goes to the city of Thessalonica. It's not planned, but he has to escape Philippi. He doesn't want to end up in prison again. And so let's turn over to Acts chapter 16. We're setting, or Acts chapter 17. We're setting the stage. This is where, this is when Paul first goes to Thessalonica. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphibolopolis, I hope I got that right. I'm sure I didn't. But, uh, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Okay, so uh, the Jewish obviously there was enough Jewish believers there that they had their own synagogue. And, here, and then it says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That's the reason I believe, that's the re- how we know that he was only there at, at most Three weeks, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from this scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. His message for three Sundays, actually three Saturdays, three Sabbath days, uh, had two points every week. The Messiah that the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures teach us about, had to suffer, die, and he would arise from the dead. Second point, Jesus is the Messiah. And many people with that simple message came to faith in Jesus. Verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So in three weeks' time, several people received the message. And one of the things I just want to pause and point out in passing, because this uh, relates to where we're going in this sermon, talking about evangelism, is Paul's message in, to both the, uh, to both those in Thessalonica and to the Philippian jailer is so simple. Sometimes we don't share our faith because we think we don't know enough or we don't have all the scriptures memorized or we think that we won't have answers to their questions. Paul's message is just basically that Jesus has saved him and you should receive him as well. It is so simple. Any of us who are believers can share the good news of Jesus in, in these type of ways. Believe in, on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household is what he told the jailer. And when we talk about uh, successful evangelism, what we're talking about is just sharing the simple good news of Jesus so that people can receive him as their own Savior and Lord and i believe that uh, that stirs up so much in our own hearts because how many of us have a spouse or a child or a relative a friend a, a neighbor a coworker that we would love to see them come to know jesus themselves what must i do to be saved well, in first, now we're going to turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 1. And what we're going to see here are three keys to successful evangelism. You see, they're, they're a brand new church. They're baby, they're baby Christians. And Paul has already set for them the example of how to witness uh, their faith. And now, he, and now what we see in this first chapter is a few points that we can pick up here and there for us to be able to share our faith effectively as well. Let's look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silas and Timothy. We've already know Paul and Silas were there, right? Timothy is included here not because necessarily because he's an author, neither is Silas, I don't think, but he's included because he would be prominent in their church. And eventually Paul will send Timothy to be the pastor of this church. And so, so he has a relationship with them as well. Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of, of the Thessalonians in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Already Paul notes they are a church of Jesus. Paul hasn't been with them long enough to say we're a church of Paul. They're a church of Jesus. A ch- the church in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There we see those three themes that are mentioned at other places in the New Testament. Faith, hope, and love, right? Remember the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3? These three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Paul mentions those in a slightly different order. He says work produced by faith, labor produced by love, and endurance uh, inspired by hope. Verse 4, and we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. "...because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We know how, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit." I should make note just here real quickly in terms of background information. Paul is only in Thessalonica for three weeks because the persecution starts immediately. In Acts 17, it says that right away the Jewish leaders do not like what is happening and they begin to uh, persecute and beat the Christians. It's amazing that the church took root so quickly in the face of suffering that happened automatically. In fact, we're given one of the believers' names at that church, Jason. I think that's all we know about Jason is that he was a believer in Thessalonica, but he, uh, his name was given because uh, he immediately suffered for the faith. And so here are these believers, the gospel's taken root, and they're already suffering for their faith. Verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols. We're going to talk about this this morning, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. I told you every chapter talks about the second coming of Christ. Here's verse 10. He grounds this evangelism in the end times to wait uh, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Three keys we want to point out in, in, briefly f- about us uh, for successful evangelism. First, it is found in the first uh, few verses here: Pray for people to be saved. You know, I say this kind of stuff all the time and in, 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 in sermons, and every time it convicts my heart, because to be honest i don 't pray for people 's salvation. Uh, that I know just in my own life as much as I should. But if we long for people to be saved, we will pray that they will receive the good news. Paul says here that he is continually mentioning them in their prayers, and he always remembers them as he prays uh, for, he is always praying for them. And then in verse 4 it says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. In other words, right off the bat, Paul recognizes that that if anyone is going to be saved, it is a work of God. And so it only makes logical sense that we would pray that God would do that work among those that we know who do not know Jesus. Amen? Amen. May we pray? In a couple of weeks, we have a VBS, right? Uh, we have these big banners on the street uh, or on the side of the building. We have—I know it's at least a dozen people signed up from the neighborhood uh, that are signed up to come to our VBS. Will we pray that pe- that those kids would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I know not all of us can come and work at the VBS, but all of us can pray, right? How many of you will commit to pray for those that come that they will will receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord? Amen. Let's pray that God would do it at VBS, that God would do it in our church, that God would do it even as we have conversations with those that we know. It is the Lord who saves. One of the greatest evangel- evangelists uh, who ever lived was surely Billy Graham, right? And Billy Graham said, we can do a lot of things evangelistically. We can persuade intellectually. We can arouse emotionally. We can impress uh, personally. But we cannot save anyone spiritually. This is the work of God. That's what Billy Graham said. That is what we see here in this passage. Paul is only with them three weeks. He doesn't have enough time to take any credit for it. It is a work of the Spirit. And if God is to move among us, we must uh, commit ourselves to pray. That's why we have concerts of prayer. In fact, that's why we gather every Sunday morning, 845 in room two. Join us, please. Because we realize that anything we do that has everlasting value is a work of the Spirit among us. Paul talks about here this in verse five. It comes with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. That is the work of, of the Spirit within us. And so we must give ourselves to prayer. We must be a church of fervent prayer. We welcomed back this past week the third of our three mission uh, summer missions trips. And all three of them were extremely successful. In fact, one uh, trip we'll share next week. But as I've talked to individuals, I've just been so amazed at how many come back with uh, great reports and part of the reason I think we were so successful is because we prayed for them. Eric Hoxie told me that he shared, he had an opportunity to share his testimony when he was in Brazil. And uh, several dozen people raised their hand to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's a work of the Spirit. So may we pray that God would work in the in our church may we pray that god would work in those in our lives because we ultimately know it is a work of god and not anything we can do ourselves first point pray for those to, for others to be saved second point proclaim the gospel it's just so basic this is just discipleship curriculum But it's so basic, but we need to be reminded. How will anybody be saved unless they actually hear the good news? Paul says here in uh, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power. It came with power, but it did come with words. Paul preached for three Sabbaths in a row. And if we want to see people uh, come to faith, we must be willing to talk about our faith with them. And I know, again, this is easier said than done. Sometimes it's intimidating. But I just want us to think about, uh, about how those in our lives that do not know Jesus, is it not the best gift that we could give them is the good news of Christ? And so may we pray as Paul did, pray for open doors, that we could begin to just have conversations with people that we meet, with those that we know and love. Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without some preaching? And so we must proclaim the gospel. Now, it doesn't, now, we can, now I think we should encourage ourselves to memorize a lot of verses. Memorize. Here's some ones to jot down: John three sixteen, Romans three twenty three, Romans six twenty three, Ephesians two eight and nine, First John one nine. These are verses that I've memorized that I've that I, that seems to come to mind all the time when I'm sharing. But oftentimes, more often than not, the verses that come to mind are the things that I'm reading on a daily basis. Whatever I read that morning. That's what God will use as I'm in conversation with others. So may we be ready to proclaim it. And one of the best ways we one of the best things we can share with others is what God has done in our lives personally, right? When you tell someone, now you, uh, a lot of people will love to argue when we, uh, when we share. And I and I'm sure that, and, and I know that's why we train ourselves in apologetics and in the study of Scripture. But no one can argue with what God has done in your own individual heart. And So just share about what your life was like before Christ and what happened when you asked Jesus into your life and what difference He's made since. Share with them even what's gone on in, uh, in your life spiritually in the last week. Again, I'm trying to emphasize it doesn't have to be complicated, but we do need to open our mouths and to share the good news of the gospel. So the second key to successful evangelism is to proclaim the gospel. And then the third key, and this is the bulk of the passage that we read, is to practice your faith. In other words, to live it out. We see here in this passage how they became Christians and they began to imitate Paul and Silas' face and then eventually it says that they became a model to other believers and it says that the message rang out from them it spread to all macedonia and achaia and then it says your faith in god has become known everywhere why was it so winsome why did it spread so so fast like like wildfire it was because god was changing their life they lived it out they became a model for others It spreads kind of like holy gossip. In verse 9 it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave. In other words, others are saying, Hey, have you heard about those believers now in Thessalonica? Have you heard about what God has been doing in their life? Nothing is more winsome than a life that is uh, lived fully for Jesus. Nothing is more powerful than a marriage that is transformed, than a person that gives up old habits and now is fully committed to the Lord. Nothing stands out more than if you live with business business ethics at your work and everybody else lives in another way. You'll stand out. In fact, your life will ring out. That's the message that is is used here in verse 8. The word that's used the lord 's message rang out from them. Why? Because their lives were transformed. They stood apart. The Greek word that is uh, used here for rang out is the Greek word that uh, is used in other places for a peal or a boom like lightning it 's like bell it's it 's used in other places for bells and trumpets and other Loud noises. If they would have had Fourth of July fireworks, I'm sure it would have been used for that as well. Fourth of Ju- you, th- we had Fourth of July this past week. Kinsey has to sit in the house with her ears plugged. She hates the ringing out, uh, the, the big boom of the fireworks. But, isn't, but it, wouldn't that be great if we were known, kind of like a firework uh, church? That our lives just stood out, that we were ringing out. Not because we were taking, uh, not because we were saying weird things. Though maybe the gospel might sound weird to others. But we stood out because our lives were so transformed and we were so on fire for Jesus. That is a winsome church. That is the best message of the gospel that we could give. Paul talks about how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In the fall, we're going to have a sermon series called Counterfeit Gods. And uh, I've been studying this in my own life and over and over again just been convicted. Our, our society is so full of idols In Thessalonica, they had a lot of idols, and their idols were stone idols. They served the Greek gods like Epaphrodite, who was the goddess of beauty, love, desire, and pleasure. They served the god of Apollo, who was the god of music, the arts, and entertainment. They served Athena, who was the goddess of reason, wisdom, intelligence, and success. And the list could go on. And we don't serve, we don't have gods of stone, but we got the exact same gods. Our society has goddesses of beauty, love, and pleasure. Our society has gods of entertainment and sports and celebrities. Our society has goddesses of success and wisdom and reason and intelligence. And if we live our lives in complete devotion to God with no service to those idols, our lives stand in such contrast to the world around us Because believe me, those idols are so ingrained into our lives that we don't even recognize them half the time. Paul is talking about having a a life that is successfully evangelistic, that is winning people to the Lord. May God work in our own hearts to be completely surrendered to Him. The most attractive thing to the gospel, is a life that has been transformed. So the three keys to successful evangelism, prayer, proclamation, and the practice of our faith. And then, as uh, I said, each chapter talks about the end times, the second coming of Christ. And again, even in this passage, the truth of it is grounded in the coming of Christ. Verse 10, and to wait for his son, to wait for his son, In other words, the second coming, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Sometimes we don't like to talk or think about the coming wrath. We don't like to think about the reality that all of us will someday stand before the judgment seat of uh, of Christ. But the Bible is pretty cl- the Bible is not pretty clear; it is absolutely clear that all of us will one day give account for our lives, and those of us that our lives are found to be righteous, not a righteousness of our own, a righteousness that is given to us because of Jesus will spend all eternity in heaven with Christ, and those who li- whose lives are found. Uh, unrighteous, who's, who have not received for the forgiveness of their sins and new life in Christ will spend uh, an, eternal, an eternity apart from Christ in hell. And those are not popular things to talk about in our culture today, but those are scriptural, biblical realities. Things that actually are the foundation of why we would ever want to share our faith with someone else. Because it will make a difference for them for all eternity. And how selfish we would be if we knew someone and we loved them. If we did not pray for them to be saved. And we did not tell them about the gospel. How selfish it would be and how sad it would be to see them in the the line on judgment day. To go before their maker and to know we could have told them about Jesus. Jesus but we never actually took the time to do it. And we ourselves would receive condemnation as a church if we did not proclaim the truth of Jesus' word to the lost people that are all around us. You see, as a church, we must be a church that is about spreading the good news of Jesus. We must be a church of evangelism. A Christian who receives the gospel must pass it on. And a Christian who passes on the gospel must live it out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of this passage. And I know it's maybe, maybe I've taken an angle where it's pretty hard hitting. But first of all, we just need to step back and we need to say thank you. Thank you for the good news that we have received ourselves and that we can pass on to others. And God, I pray that ultimately it's not motivated out of a sense of guilt, though there's nothing wrong with guilt if, it's, if, it, uh, if it is moving us towards you. But God, I pray that it is, it is motivated out of a, just a desire to see others enter into such a joyful, uh, peace-filled relationship with you. And so God, just motivate us as individuals. Help us even right now as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper to use the quiet moments uh, uh, around the table to pray for those that we know individually, friends at school, people that we work with, people that are in our family, to take a minute and to pray for them that they might be saved. And to pray for our own hearts that we would have a burden to share with them the gospel thank you for the gospel that is rooted in the Lord's Supper in the death of Jesus, the blood that was shed on our behalf. And I pray that as we enter into this time of communion together, that you would stir and continue just to work in our hearts, fill us with joy, fill us with passion because of how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward uh, to prepare for the Lord's Supper. On the first Sunday of every month, We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is Jesus.